This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. This week, I'm excited to share a sneak peek of Mercury by Amy Jo Burns, read by Maria Liatis. Marley West and her mother blew into Mercury in their teal Acura with the windows down and the radio blasting. They came from Eastern Ohio, where they'd accidentally left their favorite casserole dish and a blockbuster movie card that had nine punch holes in it. There was no blockbuster video store where they were headed, only an auto parts shop that also rented out movies on the side. They hung left off Route 80 East, down an exit that led past a streak of cedar trees to a lone stoplight. On the far side of the road, Marley spotted three men standing atop an empty building, 75 feet in the air. Start listening to Mercury by Amy Jo Burns now, wherever audiobooks are sold. Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zaro-Kopinski, and today Julie Chavez is here to discuss her new memoir, Everyone But Myself. Funny, honest, and inspiring for readers feeling overwhelmed by life, Everyone But Myself is like a best friend's story of how she returned to a solid ground while embracing chaos along the way. Uh, I felt like the book really resonated with me, and I've been excited to dive in more and kind of find out some of the behind the scenes. More about Julie. She's an elementary school librarian in Northern California. Though thousands of books pass through her hands each month, everyone but myself is the first one written by her. Julie lives with her husband and two tall teenagers in a house where she arranges her books by color. Julie, congratulations on everyone but myself and thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you today, Laura. This is great. Yes, I, you know, I think a lot of readers will wind up probably having this experience. I think so many of us are, um, particularly, you know, mothers are burned out and overwhelmed and, you know, might not have experienced sort of the same level of anxiety that you're going through in the book. But there were so many parts that I related to and kind of marked up and, it was one of those books that I feel like kind of found me at the right time. And I, I think a lot of people will, will find that as well. I think it's a, a hard season for a lot of people right now. Um, so I'm just really looking forward to hearing more about it. And um, I guess just to start off, if you could tell listeners a little bit about sort of the period of life that you're chronicling in, in the memoir. Sure, absolutely. And also, thanks for those kind words. It makes me so happy to know that it resonated and it is my deepest hope for the book. So thank you for sharing that. And I'm so glad. I love that feeling of synchronicity when the right book finds you at the right time. That is just magic for me. And so to know that my book was part of that for you is so great. So uh, just so your listeners know, my everyone but myself uh, chronicles the period of time in 2018 when I experienced a season of severe anxiety and depression after I spent too long caring for everyone but myself. So that's where the title comes from, which we actually ended up sourcing very late in the game from my pitch. I had been saying that forever. And then all of a sudden it was like, I think that should be the title. So it worked out beautifully because I think people will relate. This is a story of how I pulled out of that season. I was going to say pulled myself, but there's so much about it that's uh, finding support and finding ways to create space for yourself in your life. So a lot of this story is the the small 
but really important changes I made that brought me back to a place where I could hear my own voice again. Because I think there are so many demands that the world puts on us. And I experienced that like everyone else. But it was, I had just become a doing machine and totally disconnected from where I needed to be. So that's mostly the story of this. And of course, uh, readers will find that, you know, during this season, our life sort of continued to fall apart in other places too, which is always the way of it. Life refuses to space out the crises, I feel like. So yes, it's uh, how kind of recovery in motion too. Yeah. You know, there were so many parts that when you're talking about sort of like small but important changes that I felt like were just little aha moments. And when I'm saying sort of the book found me at the right time, it's just even little things of, I think you talk about sort of like so many of us are always striving for like A plus motherhood and, Mm -hmm. and just personhood even. And it was sort of revelatory. There's a night where you're just like exhausted after work and you're supposed to go to open house at um, I think both of your kids' schools. And yes, there's a feeling of like, huh, I I could say no to that. <laughs> like, and maybe I don't need the information that's there that night. Maybe I already know it. Maybe I would be better served by like a night at home with my family. And I actually, I wasn't feeling well. It was like a hard, hard season, hard month. And yeah. I like canceled something for the next day that was like overwhelming and exhausting to me and just thought to myself, like, I can say no more to things. Yes. And like the world won't end. And just little things like that of like mindset shifts that I think are helpful to read about because I do think so many of us get sucked into doing everything perfectly. Yes. Well, and I think it comes from a place of love. I know it did for me. I mean, because that's something that I unpack a little bit. I don't know that it's in the book. I just read the audiobook back and there were so many drafts of this book that sometimes I think, is that still in there? But I remember telling Kim at one point that I never saw myself as a perfectionist because to me, I don't care about things looking perfect, but I definitely care about doing them perfectly. And that is, you're you're exactly, you're hitting exactly on it where that mindset shift of, oh, wait a second. If I put a pause between the ask and my response, then maybe there's a chance to evaluate what is needed here, what's necessary here, and what's healthy for everyone if I'm considering my needs as valid too. So it is, I just canceled something the other day and I thought, you know what, this is okay. And even now I still have to stop myself from just saying, oh, sure, I can do that because no, actually that's insane. I shouldn't do right. that. Yeah. Well, and I did mark off, You there's sort of a line about um, having the mentality of I love, therefore I do. And that quickly warps into I do, therefore I am. When you're talking about just like being a doing machine, I think we can fall into that. And, you know, another part that I um, kind, just kind of along with that, I think you talk a little bit about how you know, that quickly becomes convenient for everyone else. And, you know, I was thinking as I was reading this about just in general, how much, you know, the world runs on exhausted women performing, um, oftentimes unpaid labor, even like the feeling of guilt for 
you know, not going to a volunteer thing, or I think you get stuck doing like the numbers at the baseball games and things and just, you know, how it becomes convenient to everyone else to be putting yourself last. And I marked up like another place where you're talking about with your husband about how you took on, you know, the job in the library 30 hours a week. And he says, well, nothing has slipped around here where you're talking about it being so much. And you're like, but that's insane. I added 30 hours of work to my already busy week and nothing in your life has changed. That's not normal that you're still managing everything. And I really think that that is just, I I don't know. I feel like I'm always on my soapbox of this. It just doesn't make sense to me that, you know, like women are just expected to be, to find the time no matter what. And it doesn't matter if you're burned out and there's always a reason why we're put in charge of everything in terms of like the mental load and managing like a house and kids. And it's convenient for other people and everyone gets used to you doing it. And, you know, you, that stuff that Eve Rodsky says about like women's time is like sand and men's is like diamonds. Like, you know, you were just supposed to find that extra 30 hours in your week. And yes. Yeah. And I think too, the, the problem being that I expected it of myself as well. Yeah. So there's this element of I'm with you a hundred percent. If you want to hear me go off about, you know, unpaid (laughs) labor, Nolan, my boys, Nolan and Eli, occasionally I'll have days. They said something to me recently. And I was like, my answer was the patriarchy. I mean, they were like, (laughs) yikes, get me out of this conversation stat. But they, um, but they hear me talk about it too, because it really is. I mean, I work in a school and schools still to a very large extent run on the unpaid labor of women. And sometimes, you know, dads are involved too, but I do sometimes share that at one point I suggested the title of this book be in my next life. I want to be a dad Mm -hmm. because there is this element of, for some reason we expect this of moms and of parents and caregivers. And I think too, for some reason, I picked up the idea that making other people's lives run smoothly meant that I was valuable. And that's a tricky thing to unpack, right? There are a lot of messages we get growing up and I'm so happy for our kids that they are not getting some of those messages. So it is, there's so much of that though, that you're exactly right where it's like, wait, why is my time sand and your time is diamonds? And we all just operate as if that is reasonable and expected. It, it really is crazy making. So I will say though, recently, you know, I always try and, you know, have a little hope about the future, but Eli, my younger guy said something about, I can't wait to make things for dinner and my kids are just going to have to eat it. And I was (laughs) like, this is amazing. And I love, cause he sees his dad, Mondo is really more of the cook at our house. And it, it, to him, that is now assumed, right? Like my mom says that my dad didn't see the inside of the grocery store for probably 30 years. And that's very true. I mean, that was just the model we grew up with. So all that to say, I am so glad that you're reading that and thinking, yes, this is, this is how it is because it's true. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily anyone's fault, but I think to your point also, there's this idea that it doesn't matter if you're burned out. And that is a dangerous thing that, yes. that there are consequences, very real physical consequences to this p- 
period of self-neglect that I had. And I think that's the thing that if we can make those shifts earlier on in this process of I'm falling apart, then you really save yourself a lot because it was really a scary time for me. And I didn't, I didn't see it coming and not that I should have. I don't think there was a way necessarily that I could have. And I think it was all part of, you know, my own growing in it, but yeah, there's a real, there's a real side to this that we can push ourselves past limits to a certain extent and then everything kind of falls apart. But what's amazing is that once I was burned out and I just stopped doing everything, everything was okay. Like we still kept moving. So I think seeing that hopefully people can benefit from my experience before they're, you know, falling apart in the tub. Right. And, and I think even just all of us not sort of even feeding into the trope of like the, it's like expected and normalized for women to be completely burnt out and exhausted and harried and stressed all the time. And, you know, so it becomes normalized and you think it's, you know, why should you expect different or not be pushing yourself to that level? Well, and it it can become a badge, right? We talk about that a lot where it's like, oh, I'm so busy and that makes me important. And that I don't think, I don't know a ton of moms who are really like striving to be martyrs, but I think it just, it happens really easily and insidiously. And then you're, you're stuck. And so suddenly you just are on this ride and you think, I want to get off. <laughs> like, how do I, yeah. how do I leave this Ferris wheel? Well, and even when you make that recognition, I think the other thing that you chronicle so well is sort of, even when you decide this is not healthy anymore and like you need help, I think you kind of show really um, effectively of how hard it is to even find help once you realize you need it. You have some um, really not productive conversations with like a doctor or with, you Mm -hmm. know, certain people and like just trying to navigate our, even like finding a therapist. Like I think you show really clearly that even once you are reaching out, it is hard to get help and support. Yeah. We just don't have a lot of good. I mean, and we're starting to see this more, our conversations around, mental health are not always productive. And then on top of that, I think it's really hard for women and moms to do that because we really do push aside our needs. So it's it's hard to find support. And then it's especially difficult when your need is very acute because you're tired and discouraged. And, you know, being told, oh, we don't have anyone is a huge roadblock. And so I think that is something that I've learned and encouraged also, you know, for the people around me, which is you want to have these things in place. And I think everyone would benefit from having a relationship an established relationship with a therapist, because you sort of never know when, when you're going to need that. And having that support is so key. It shouldn't be so hard to access it, it, access it, but it somehow is. So I'm hopeful that there can be more of that. I know that even since this book, you know, since 2018, we do have a lot more online options and Zoom. And at the time, I didn't know what Zoom was. So I think seeing some of that 
uh, come up. I'm hopeful that people can, you know, utilize those tools, but it is, it's necessary. And it is amazing too, when you are scrabbling, I got some bad advice from my gynecologist at the time. And you, when you're scrambling, it can be really hard to know who to listen to because you can't, you don't have a good filter for what people are telling you. So it's, it becomes very panicky and everyone's got opinions. So I think that was something I learned too. Yeah. I, there's another, I guess, I guess it's a scene, but it's real life. Like, there's another scene <laughs> in the book where, Set um, in the kitchen. <laughs> yes, where, you know, you're with some other moms and you just, I think it's like a long day at a pool and you're trying yes. to like watch the kids. The dads are off golfing or something. And, um, you're just not feeling like you can like be there and do that today. You're like feeling the anxiety so strong. And, um, you know, I feel like it winds up being a conversation about like expressing needs and, you know, yeah. being heard. And again, like maybe not expecting as much of ourselves, but I just felt like that was so relatable. Sometimes we get ourselves into these situations of like, Oh, I shouldn't have even come to this or I shouldn't even be here, but I'm like having to sort of suck it up and pretend to be okay. And yes. I guess just if you could talk about that a little bit. And cause I thought that was a really relatable scene. I'm glad that I could chronicle that detailed argument with my husband for <laughs> the world because, and actually, I mean, I joke about it, but that's one of my, that was such a turning point. And that's one of my favorite parts of the book because literally everything you're reading did happen. I mean, and that's true with a memoir, but there's, there's a veracity to it that that specific day was etched into my mind. And that conversation, I mean, I went back to look at our text messages and see what I sent to him and all of these things. So I think that it is really intense for partners. And my husband is a good man who loves me very well, but he also had expectations of what things normally looked like. And so for there to be sort of a 180 was very disorienting for him and it was disorienting for me. So then you have this interplay with, you know, whether it's a spouse or friends or people you're close to where suddenly you're not yourself, you know, you're not yourself, but they're not sure how they deal with you not being yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think that is hopefully, hopefully there's some grace in there for both of us, right? Where we were both doing our best, but yeah, I was horrible. I was just, and not horrible in any sort of judging way to myself. It really was. I should have said no to this. Here I am. And I'm saying to him, I need to go. And a lot of what we know now as, you know, partners in our marriage is that you do have to, I mean, we joke about it being a safe word, but there is an element of when I need the rescue, I need to know that you're going to take this as seriously as I am. And I think because Mondo had never experienced anything uh, around anxiety, really, that that was part of this. I mean, it was years before he really understood the physical feeling of it, where it's like, I want to, you know, run away from myself. And so sitting here making small talk while I watch our children swim is it really does feel like torture. 
So Mm -hmm. I think that sort of feeling of, you know, you're seeing us trying to muddle through it in the moment. And now we can have much better conversations about it. But at the time, you know, it's, it can be really tough for someone who hasn't experienced that to say, okay, just like, but think about something better or stop thinking about it, right? When you're ruminating, well, just stop thinking about it. And it's like, oh, that's a great idea. I never considered. Perfect. So I think just going through that, I don't know if that answers your question. I don't know if I'm really answering any of your questions here. No, you are. I'm loving talking (laughs) to you about it. No, you are. (laughs) And, you know, I was going to, I think being so um, open and, you know, sharing some of those conversations and sharing different struggles um, is just so helpful to read about, you know, as a reader. And I think that's why the book resonates so strongly um, Mm -hmm. because you really are letting people in, but I'm sure it was difficult to figure out, you know, what do I include? What do I not include? Um, And even kind of along with that, as you're sort of going back to this period of life, because you're a little bit more removed and probably in a different headspace, did, mm-hmm. h- how did you sort of tap back into all those feelings? That is a really good question. I think that, you know, deciding what to include and not to include, I think really started to happen more naturally as the book was edited. So, you know, all hail editors who can save us from ourselves sort of thing. Because to me, sometimes things are important that wouldn't be important to someone else. And it takes an outside eye for someone to see that and to say, this isn't as relatable or this maybe isn't necessary. And there were parts of this book that I remember saying, like, they can pry that from my cold dead fingers. And sure (laughs) enough, they did. Like, I mean, kudos, way to go, editors. But, you know, and some of that is just general writerly, you know, I'm I'm new to this, so sort of understanding the process. And there's an element of, because it's a memoir, it's both easy for them to spot what doesn't belong and hard for me to let go because right. this is my real life. So I think to answer your question on what stays and what went, a lot of it was editing. Some of it was personal in terms of what people, what it felt safe and okay for people to know. Because, you know, there's still an element of wanting to honor my my real life people in this, including myself. So there was that. And then to tap back into those feelings, you know, it was, I think it didn't take a lot for me to go back because I started writing this in 2019. So I was only a year out oh, from okay. this time when I started. So I was still pretty close to it. But I think in some ways... I'm sort of a believer that, you know, sometimes the pressure has to build for me when I'm writing things. So I'll feel kind of, I'm not sure what to write about. Let's say, cause I write like a, a newsletter, for example, and I'll think I'm not really sure what I'm going to write. And it takes a while. And then suddenly the pressure hits a certain level where I have to open the valve and then what's meant to come out will flow onto the page. And it was sort of like that for this, where I had, considered it enough. And because a lot was from the past, there were, there was enough there, enough pressure there, I think, to push out what needed to come out. So 
I'm making it sound like childbirth all of a sudden, like, I don't know, I had contractions and then just push that puppy right out. (laughs) Well, did you, um, I guess then, because if it started in 2019, had you wanted to write a memoir before? Did you, um, you know, were you sort of wanting to share the experience to kind of help other people through it? What was kind of the impetus for starting to write it? I am a rabid book lover. I mean, I just, I can't get enough. I love books. I love bookstores. Obviously I work in a library, which is both wonderful and horrible because the children are book abusers. And that's the thing (laughs) I have to deal with all the time, but (laughs) we'll set that aside. But I just, I love the written word. So I always, I had started a blog, you know, like everyone else in 2012, I think it was. I had a friend who was a writer uh, Keely Flynn. And she was actually funny story. Mondo's former pen pal from middle school and lived across the country. And then she and I went on vacation together because I like to take risks, you know, just put myself in not escapable situations that might go really bad socially. (laughs) So, um, she and I had gone on a trip and, you know, we talked about it. She wrote a book and I thought, you know, I always wanted to write a book and people would very kindly say to me, you're a great writer. You should write a book. And, I would say, yeah, but I don't know what the story is because to me, I really wanted it to be valuable. And looking back, I probably wanted it to be perfect, but I think I I wanted it to make sense. I didn't want to just write a book to write it. For me, I needed that. I needed enough pressure, I guess, and enough stakes. And so I think it was something that had always sat with me. And then truly, uh, when I went to my review with my principal, she is one that had said to me, she was one of those people along the line that said, you should really write a book. And I said, I don't know what the story would be. And then when I was sitting with her, I was saying, I think this is something that happens to a lot of women. And I'm so grateful I had you to tell me about your experience. And she said, well, that's what you should write your book about. So it was really it truly was a moment of consonance where she said that. And I thought, Oh, I could, I could see that maybe there is a story here that would be valuable to someone else. That's so lovely. And Mm -hmm. I I did, it was, you know, there's times where on your rehab, we're sort of reading like, you know, uh, like I wish she was getting support here, like the the gynecologist that is doing yes. all this stuff. But I thought it, hearing um, or kind of reading your conversations with uh, your principal, I thought was it was just like nice to see, mm-hmm. you know, somebody supporting, um, you know. And there are so many unexpected people that can speak into your life too, which is something I love. And there's not this isn't in the book. But um, one of the people that became so precious to me during that time was the girl who uh, does my waxing. (laughs) She waxes my upper lips so I don't look like Tom Selleck. And (laughs) she was someone, I literally met her when I was at my lowest. I mean, I went in and said, I'm not really okay. Is it okay if I be quiet while we do this? And she said, of course, but you know, I'm a good listener if you want to talk. And she has become one of the most precious people in my life. She had gone through her own experiences. And so, you know, I think that's the other thing too, is remembering that all of the seeds that you plant in your life are, they have the potential to be fruitful and you might be surprised which ones sprout. So there is sort of an ode here to 
openness. I mean, I have my core people that are really close to me that I adore and am very intentional with, but there are also, there's a, a circle outside that circle of people that know me well, because sometimes you're just surprised. Not everyone yeah. knows what you've been through. So I think that has been a really lovely lesson or a lovely gift of that. Like people like Shay and, you know, the person helping me not have a unibrow. It's just, you're just always surprised. <laughs> I love that whole idea though, of like you planting those seeds and yeah. kind of letting yourself be surprised what, what comes up. I think that's really beautiful. Um, well, you know, I'm curious if there is another um, book in the works or kind of like what your writing life is like these days. You know, I am, it's November right now when we're recording this. So I am, uh, like so many other people attempting NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month. So I'm working on a novel and it is mostly fun. I really don't feel like I know what I'm doing. And that's uh, a mindset shift for me, but I loved writing the memoir. I love talking about it with readers. I mean, it this whole process, even talking with you today, I just, you are part of my dream this is part of the dream. And so I am already sort of itching to do it again and watching a book come to life. I love cover design. I'm obsessed with the whole process. So I think I'm working toward that goal, but yeah, mostly my writing process is sit down and just write. I have an idea that I'm working around, but I think I sort of have like a mild outline in my head, but mostly I'm just trying to get the words down and get to a word count where then I can go back and try and shape it. But I write whenever, wherever I don't really have any sort of process. Cause that's how my life is. Every day is different. And the kids are in a season of life where there's a lot happening. So I do need flexibility. And there are times then when I do try and set boundaries for myself, you know, I can go to a coffee shop or whatever, but yeah, some of it's just, got to do it while life is happening. And honestly, I wrote the memoir that way. And I think that'll probably be the way this one rolls out too. I was actually listening to your episode with Amy Popol about writing this, her being a binge writer. And I was like, that sounds amazing. I want in (laughs) on that. Yes. But it is not in this, it is not in the cards for right now. So I think, you know, for all writers, it's good to just be able to figure out what works. I will say that Camille Pagan, who's a writer, gave me good advice. And that was remembering that fiction is a mood. And I think she's, I think that's true about all writing. So I wrote a little document in my computer that says, read this first. And it says my goal basically for this book, the novel that I'm writing, I want it to be heartfelt and funny. That's what I'm going for. So I sit down and I read these like five sentences and take a deep breath. And then I just start because this idea that Maybe I don't have to be so prepared, but just, okay, this is, I'm in that headspace now. And then we go, and then I have to stop to yell at someone for interrupting me, but you know, I can get back there. (laughs) I love that though. And I think thinking about even like the binge writing that there are seasons of life, there's seasons of the writing life. I mean, one thing I, I, I kind of meant to mention that I also really loved about the book is as kind of like you're mentioning your kids being in a really busy season. I'm, I'm in the phase of like very little kids. And Mm. so you express 
<laughs> yes, you express <laughs> it different times in the book about something that I feel all the time of like, oh, I, I don't, I get nervous about them getting bigger and, mm-hmm. um, you know, being sad that that phase is over, even though, of course, there's days where you're just like, oh, I just need to survive <laughs> this and get to the next season. But you write so beautifully about like, you know, that, that the young kids phase is beautiful, but also like the kid next to you on the couch with like their giant feet watching, you know, <laughs> some show like, so I, that window into kind of like the older kids, I thought was also really nice to read about. Um, and I enjoyed that as well. <laughs> I'm glad because there's so much negativity around it. I mean, if you can count the number of people that tell you just wait until they're older, it only gets harder. I'm like, that is a horrible thing to say to anyone. I Please. hate that message. <laughs> I know. <laughs> just Anytime you wait. Yeah. Just you wait. And also it goes so quickly. You're already missing it. So so, I mean, yes. you might as well just accept that. Like it's, and I know it's well-intentioned, but it is so hard when you are in those days for someone to tell you it's going to get harder. I mean, that's like, why don't you just kick me while I'm down? So and the enjoy every moment when oh there's gosh. lots of moments that are not enjoyable. Yeah. Like enjoy then you feel moment. guilty. Yes. Um, it's such a nifty little cycle that we give to other moms. So I think it's so nice to be able to say, no, those years and times are so hard. I mean, I I loved when my boys were young, but there is no way. I babysat a puppy for a friend and I nearly had to like increase my antidepressants. I was like, <laughs> this is not okay for me. So I think just it's so unpredictable. They can't communicate their needs very well. There are really hard things about having little kids. And yeah, there are hard things about having teenagers. The stakes feel higher and you really are, you know, helping guide them. But at the same time, what a great thing that you can engage with them in a different way. So I think that there's a lot to be hopeful for. And yeah, there's no way you're taking me back to to diapers, like people that have big spaces in their, in their child rearing, you know, people that have like a 10 year old and then an infant. I just think, are you okay? Like, oh, what are you doing? I could not, but, I could not. Yeah, that's, I have nightmares about getting pregnant. So for me, I'm like, I'm so happy for you. And I will hold the baby and give it back. And then give it back. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think so so many different um, layers of this are just wonderful. And yeah, I really hope that people go pick it up. I, um, yeah, it's going to have a special place on my shelf and it's all marked up. And I'm so glad that's out there. And I just think it's so important for, um, you know, women to be sharing their experiences and talking about, you know, not just mm-hmm. like pasting a happy smile on and pretending everything's fine and um, kind of letting people have a window into how other people are experiencing or struggling through different things. Um, and, and just lastly, um, you know, we, of course, are um, both librarians. <laughs> and yes. so I know you're a big reader and I'd love to hear what you've been reading lately and what you'd want to recommend. Well, I'm excited. I Like I mentioned earlier, when I listened to the Amy Popol episode, Sweet Spot has been sitting on my nightstand for probably six months Oh, because so for a good. while I cannot it. wait. And it's one of those that I feel like I'm kind of waiting. You know, there are certain books that I'm like, no, I can't enjoy you fully right now because people are bothering me or whatever it is, or life is too busy. So I've been saving it, but you have inspired me to move it to the top of my TBR. But I recently read the new Kate Morton and I love her books. Have you read any of those? You know, she has been on my list forever and I I have not gotten to one yet. Well, and they are, they're thick. 
So there is that. But um, I just read Homecoming, but I love her books and they are amazingly detailed. So I really appreciate those. So Homecoming, I loved. I just read Shark Heart. Have you read that one? I have not. Okay. That one is one to put on your list. It's a little weird and completely wonderful, but warning. I mean, I sobbed at the end, like in the, in the best way. Cause I love things that just sort of have that element of making you feel so deeply because that's how I feel in my regular life. So to see that yes. echoed on the page is just, I don't, it's comforting, I think, but it was, it's a little different. I don't think I knew what surrealism was. And I feel like now I do because that book feels a little surrealist. So I also felt like I learned something, which always makes me feel a little smug. So yeah. I'll definitely, definitely have to link to those. And the, yes. and the sobbing is a good thing. I was just talking to um, Issa Arson, who wrote Shoot the Moon right before we were talking. And she oh, recommended yes. a book and said it destroyed her in the best possible way. And I was like, yes, that's like <laughs> what I like to read a lot of the time. Books that Let's me do in the best this. Possible way. Yes. Get the I want to be and... emotionally crushed. Yes. yes. Let's go. <laughs> Um, well, Julie, this has been so much fun. I've loved chatting with you and I hope that listeners go grab their copy of everyone but myself. Um, and we'll look forward to whatever comes out of this national novel writing month. Oh, thanks for the time. Thanks for reading. Thanks for connecting to it. And just all the things you said, I am, I'm deeply grateful. So this has been a joy. Thank you. Links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review wherever you get your podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.